Yeah, welcome. Uh, man, it's a busy season for a lot of you, I know. Feels kind of busy for me. This is RUF. We're a Christian ministry on campus. Um, we try to take the Bible seriously, but not ourselves. So, we hope that you like it. Uh, my name is Willis Weatherford. I'm the campus pastor with RUF. means my full-time, I don't like have a day job and then come here like this is my full-time thing. Being with you guys, meeting with you throughout the week, trying to wrap my head around what it looks like to follow Jesus on this campus. And I got to admit up front, and I'll kind of say this throughout the sermon, in a lot of ways, y'all know the answer to that question better than me. Like, what does it look like to follow Jesus day in, day out on this campus, in your classroom, on your sports team, in your organizations? Because you're doing it, and I'm not, really. I'm just, like, trying to help you do it. So uh, I love hearing from you guys anytime when you have insights or thoughts or if I preach something, you're like, that is not what happens here. I'd love to hear that. Like, that would help me learn this culture, this context. So, all that said, what I really want you to know about me is that I'm not a good person, but Jesus loves me, and I love him, and he loves you, and that changes everything. And tonight, we're going to look at how Jesus challenges us in our tendency to conform, our tendency to conform, and he invites us to be different. And so in a moment, we'll read our passage, and then I'm going to explain the passage in three parts. First, bland, decaying darkness. Second part, salt and light. Third part, so what? So bland, decaying darkness, salt and light, so what? Let's pray. Father, thanks for the chance to come here tonight. Uh, my heart rejoices. I feel so encouraged just to see this room full and um, so many people, Lord, that are trying to follow you, that are interested in following you, that are at least brave enough to set foot inside this room. Some people here, it's their first time. So, Lord, I want to thank you and praise you for them and ask that you will reveal yourself to them and to each one of us in a new way tonight. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. All right. Point one, bland darkness. Let's read the, the verse that's on your handout. Um, so, again, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus goes up on this really a big hill and sits down and all those people, his disciples that are interested in what he has to say, they come to him. And he gives this sermon, a three-chapter sermon, that is probably the best sermon ever. And it's all about the culture of his kingdom. And after the first part, which is kind of the Beatitudes that a lot of us are familiar with, he dives into this part, salt and light. So let's read it. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Okay, so I think the most challenging thing about this passage is that it confronts us with this unpleasant truth that our world, our culture, our campus, our parties, our classrooms, our bedrooms, our hearts, on our own without Jesus, are bland, decaying darkness. Why do I say that? 
Okay, so Jesus is speaking to his disciples, Christians, and he's saying, you are the salt of the earth. We use salt mainly for flavor and sometimes as a preservative. But in Jesus' time, those uses were kind of flipped, mainly a preservative and also a little bit for flavor. You know, no refrigeration. Salt was very important for preventing decay and especially meats. And so, of course, they use it that way also as a, um, a taste thing. So as he says his disciples are salt of the earth, he's saying the rest of the world, the rest of the culture, our hearts without him are like a side of beef from a cow that's just been slaughtered, but there's no salt to preserve it. And it's 78 degrees in first century Palestine, and immediately it's going to start decaying. And within a couple of days, it's going to be just festering, rotten, gross. Okay. Or let's say you're in first century Palestine and you slice and dice up that side of beef into delicious steaks right away because you're smart and you want to grill it before it spoils, right? You cook it, it's delicious, but there's no salt. That's not right, people. Okay, steaks should not be without salt. I know steak. Steaks without a lot of salt are not good. Okay, so he's saying without the light of the world, the world, our hearts, our culture is bland and it tends towards decay. All right. How is that the case? There's a few different senses. Let's look at darkness first, light and dark. Okay. This world is dark without Jesus in the sense that without the light God gives, we can't see God and be saved. It's not like people are like able to just walk around without Jesus and see where God is and be like, oh, cool. I like that. I'm going to go there. This is saying, no, it's dark. People are walking around blind. You need the light. Okay. In the second sense, He's saying, um, without the light God gives, we can't truly see the world around us and the way that we're supposed to live and like what the wise path is. We can't make decisions in wisdom. We can't understand even what's going on around us. Reality is hidden without the light that God gives. Okay. Third way, the moral sense of darkness, right? Morally, this world is dark without the moral law of God, without that light. Okay, let's look at the salt analogy. The most enticing, flavorsome, so to speak, salty, delicious experiences that this world, that WNL can cook up without Jesus, this is saying, are bland, boring. And I think we can prove this just right now in this room. I want you to take this feature of WNL life, which is very embedded and significant, which is party culture. Listen, I love a good party. I'm not hitting the party culture. It's just a feature of our life, so we have to talk about it. Why is it so embedded? Why is it such a big deal here? I think part of the reason is because y'all are so busy every day of the week looking sharp, being sharp, writing sharp, smart things on paper, showing up to interviews and presentations you know, as a really impressive person, studying, 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 going to class, and it's boring. And you desperately need something to spice it up. And the party is born. And it's been that way for generations. That's not all the truth. I think it's part of the truth. You need a Wednesday night, a Friday night, a Saturday night to spice it up. Because success on its own is actually boring. Take the party itself though. Even the party, the sweetness of it turns kind of sickly sweet after a while. The excitement turns kind of boring after a while. If you show up to 
one or two or three parties a week for four years, you're going to get bored. I've talked to the seniors who graduate. They're bored with it already. Some of you are like a sophomore or junior, you're already bored with it. Let's zoom out a second. Let's say you live that life, you're living your life without Jesus. 30 years after you graduate from WNL, you're an alumni, and there's going to be a couple alumni getting a drink at a bar, talking about the good old days, and saying, man, WNL was the best four years of my life. Which is kind of nice, but also really sad. Because they've gone on to succeed, and it's still boring without Jesus. Okay. The average WNL student thinks that the solution to the boredom and blandification of our whole situation is more success, more money, more sex, more of what I can get with my best efforts. But Jesus is telling you right here, he's saying that's just like taking white flour, which is very bland, and just dumping more white flour on it, thinking like, if I add more white flour, it's going to become delicious. No, it's not. It's just bland. It needs something else. Salt is different. If you take, this happened one time, um, I made, <laughs> I should never be a baker. I don't know why I thought it was going to be a good idea to be a baker. But at one point in my life, I made, I baked bread. And actually, it's the only time I've baked bread. <laughs> and I take a slice of the bread and I'm like all excited and it cuts through the knives all crusty and nice and butter and honey. And I take a bite and I'm like, oh, something is off. And I had forgotten to put an eighth of a teaspoon of salt in. And if you've ever done this, that bread tastes different. It tastes bad. You need that little bit of salt and it just like makes it awesome. So this is saying. So God loves us. He doesn't want our world to be bland. He wants it to be delicious. He doesn't want it to decay. He wants it to have life, both for those who are following him and everybody else. And so he gives salt. He gives light to make it not decay, to make it delicious, to make it better. We'll talk more about what that that looks like. But I want us to notice something else about this. The problem identified in this parable is that we Christians who are salt, we have the salt of Christ in us. Well, sometimes we try to keep it hid, right? We don't want to let it out. Christians who have the light of Christ in us, we don't show it. We stay bland, we stay dark, and so the world around us does too. Why do we do this? A lot of reasons probably, but I think one reason is that the campus of WNL specifically, like this place, more than a lot of other places in the world, if I'm right, is that it places a really high value on conformity. Conformity. So look around yourselves. I've been on a lot of college campuses, and compared to a lot of college campuses, there's more homogeneity on this campus in a lot of different ways. ACT score. I bet you, you don't have to raise your hand and tell me what your ACT score is, but I bet you the average score in this room is like 33 to 34, and that 70% of you are 33 to 34. And that if you're not 33 to 34, you don't tell people because you know that most of your friends are. Okay, I bet that's right. I see some nods. Apparel, y'all dress pretty nice. And there's, there's some of you are kind of creative, and you'll branch out a little bit, but it's within a certain range. Okay, conformity. None of this is bad. I'm just describing the situation. Behavior. I know what 70% of you or more are going to be doing after large group tonight. And it's something different than what 70% or more of you are going to be doing on Friday night. You can't say that at every campus. We value conformity. We could go on, but I hope you see what I'm saying. I'm not saying these things are bad. I'm saying there's a value, there's a pressure on conforming here. And I don't know all the reasons for that. I just see it like it, it happens. 
Somebody here is like, well, actually, me, I want to stand out. I kind of want to be different. And that's great. But I want you to notice that a lot of the ways you try to stand out are basically by just trying to like out WNL, WNL. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to be more smart and more successful and make more money and more original and have a more hot take. I'm like, that's, oh, that's great. I hope you do all those things, but that's very much in the lane of WNL. That's still kind of conformity because it's the same values. Again, not saying there's bad things. I'm just saying pressure to conform here. Also, there's somebody else here who's like, actually, I feel very much the odd person out. In this room, in this campus, I feel like I'm very different from a lot of other people on this campus. And so, number one, I want to affirm like your situation, if you're that person, it's harder here than it would be on other campuses, okay? So that's, that's true. And you probably have to carry that kind of alone a lot and kind of hide it because, you know, there's a pressure to conform. No one wants to hear that you're not having a great time. Your temptation, if you're that person, is probably to withdraw, probably to isolate a little bit or find your small core of people that you can belong with and just stick with them. And that's not what Jesus is calling us to do in this passage either, right? We're gonna look more at that. Let's look at what Jesus means by salt and light. Okay, salt and light. The tagline here is, God makes us different like him, like he's different, to reveal himself to the world around us. So what specifically does he mean by salt and light? The context tells us to be salt and light is to embody the Beatitudes that we talked about last week. It talks about the Beatitudes, and it's like, so anyway, be salt and light. Okay, I think that means the Beatitudes. You get it. So if you weren't here last week, the Beatitudes are just this list of statements, characteristics, virtues that Jesus embodies and that we're called to embody. We're called to be like Jesus in these ways. These are character traits that God will build in those who hunger and thirst to be like Jesus, to be righteous. So I want you to notice what Jesus is doing with the salt and light analogy, okay? Because right after the Beatitudes, this list, be like this, it says, right after that it says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those who do all these things, who live like Jesus, and they get persecuted for it. Their friends lie about them for it. They get abandoned for it. It says, blessed are those who this happens to. And then it says, salt and light. And then at the end of salt and light, verse 16, it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that what? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So there's two options. Live like Jesus and one of two things will happen. You will get persecuted and lied about and reviled is the word and rejected. Or they'll see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's the Christian life. Okay, we'll say more about that. But I want you to notice, like, salt and light tie those two together. When you live different, people see your difference, your salt and your light, your good works, and sometimes they give glory to your Father in heaven. Okay, we see this in extreme examples from history, like Desmond Doss from the movie Hacksaw Ridge, which is like a true story of this guy, this medic, who basically loves his neighbor like crazy. Go watch Hacksaw Ridge. Awesome. Super violent, but true story. We see this in other stories um, like from celebrities like uh, Shia LaBeouf, 
apparently has become a Christian in recent years, partly through like the weird artistic witness of like characters that he portrays. And he reads about this character, he's a Christian, he's like, there's something real there. And now he like professes faith. Kind of nuts. I've heard examples from your own lives where people notice something different about you on this campus and it kind of comes up. They're like, what? Why do you do that? And you have a chance to share some of that truth with them. And the interesting thing is, usually what happens is not instant conversion, which would be awesome. Usually, though, they do notice the difference. And Jesus is saying, difference is enough. Difference is enough. As long as that difference is difference like Jesus. Christ-like difference. Beatitude difference. It's just like Jesus said, he spoke to them saying, different part of the Bible, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay, so part of your call as a Christian is to be different so that people notice and realize, man, there's something different about that. What is it? Let's talk about steak. I love steak. It's awesome. If I see a steak in a restaurant, I'm going to order the steak. It's going to happen. Um, I've had some great steaks. I've done some research about how to grill my own and make them great. This one, my best steak ever, I was at a restaurant called Oak in Boulder. Anybody been there? Anybody? Okay, no. Go to Oak in Boulder, Colorado. And this is like a two-inch thick sirloin steak, and it's just crusted on the outside with like salt and some kind of herb mix that they make. And you just got to like, you can hear the knife like great as you cut through it. Delicious. It's awesome. So good. Actually, chefs say the, the, the right amount of salt for a steak is on the edge of too much. If you get to that edge of too much, that's the perfect amount. I believe that. Okay. Think about this. As you become more like Jesus, you will have that effect on the world around you. Enhancing, preserving, delectifying the world around you. It's a call to be a Christian. That's part of it. Let's talk about light and darkness. The darkest place I've ever been was in a cave underground. So you're in a cave underground, no light. Everybody turns off their flashlight and it's just like a blanket of darkness. And it like presses against your eyeballs. It's an intense experience. There's like no stars, no nothing. And it's cool, but it also becomes a little terrifying, like pretty quick. And then somebody clicks on their flashlight and every eye in the room, in the cave room, reorients to that light immediately and kind of like breathes it in like life because we crave light. And this is saying, as you become more like Jesus, believe Jesus when he says, it will feel like a breath of fresh air to people. It will feel like light to people. Sometimes. You do that by being different like Jesus is different. Okay, here's what I really want you to hear. Being different involves effort, but it doesn't happen through your effort. Being salt and light involves your effort, but it doesn't happen through your effort. You don't become salt and light by trying hard. Being like Jesus, it involves your effort, but it doesn't happen through your effort. You don't become like Jesus through your effort. Is that making sense? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are filled with righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, not by hungering good enough to where they can become righteous through their hard work, but because God gives them righteousness. And that engages their effort then to go and live like Christ, but they didn't become righteous by trying hard enough for it. I hope that's making sense. Okay. As God makes you salt and light, Jesus is saying, just don't hide it. Don't hide it. 
refrain from doing the shuddering move of hiding that from people because it's scary and it is scary. Don't put the light under a bowl. Don't close the salt shaker up. Okay, I've got this big jar of cookie butter at my house right now. I love cookie butter. Mm. Like with a good pink lady apple cookie butter. Oh, that's the best. Okay, so this is saying you are a jar. If you're a Christian, you're now filled with cookie butter. Something really, really, really good. But what you want to do is keep that lid screwed on real tight. Keep it in the cupboard. Shut the door. Because it's scary to let it out. Because it's different. This is just saying you don't have to like find the ingredients to make cookie butter and like put that into yourself. It's like you've been filled with Jesus. You have the character of Jesus. It's in there. Let it out. Believe it or not, God the Holy Spirit has filled you with the character of Jesus like a jar is filled with cookie butter. And Jesus is saying, open the jar. Next point, we'll talk about how, but right now, I want to acknowledge some pushback that I think a lot of us feel, which is, hang on a second. Okay, you're saying this, Willis. But a lot of my friends, they see a lot of the things Jesus believes, says, commands, affirms, and they're like, that's bad. Not like, I'm not sure about that, but like, no, when Jesus says this, that's actually wrong. For instance, his sexual ethic, his refusal to overlook sin, his command to take up his cross and follow him even when it hurts. His command to love our enemies, turn the other cheek, and be extravagantly generous with our time and our money. What he says about maleness and femaleness. Take that one alone. And a lot of people on this campus are going to be like, okay, nope. So, agreeing with Jesus in public might make people hate you. Yes. That's the other option. Persecution or salt and light. In either case, it's about being different. That's the call of a Christian. As we live as salt and light, sometimes people hate it. And us. So how do we do this? How are we supposed to be bold enough to actually be in practice what we are in Christ? Main point three. So what? Okay, I want to offer five ways that I think we can live towards, lean into being salt and light. First way. First is just believe that the call to be different is a core feature of the Christian life. All of us would love to conform. It's super easy and it's super fun because no one looks at you weird. And this is saying that's not Christianity. You can't do that. You can't truly follow Jesus and cling to conformity at WNL. You just have to choose one of those two. And when you, not when you graduate, like, oh, when I graduate, then I'll kind of like start being different, being serious. It happens now. If you can't do it now, you're not going to do it then. <clears throat> it's part of the Christian call to obedience. I'm not saying drop out of WNL. I'm not saying stop studying. I'm not saying you can never go to a party. I am saying you have to examine the cultural features of life here and say, is that like Jesus? And if not, move towards something else. Okay. Second way is to reject tokenism. Because some of us are here like, okay, I know how to be different. I'll wear a Bible verse bracelet and I'll wear a cross necklace and I'll have like a Christian tattoo and that's how it'll be different. And all those are fine things, and I'm not making fun of you if you do those things. That's great. Seriously, it is. If you want to do that, do that. I have a Christian tattoo. That's fine. Uh, but I'm saying, that is not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about character. He's talking about the inner light that shines through in your actions, in your words, and the way that you move through the world. So we have no indication that Jesus wants us to be wearing bracelets and necklaces, getting tattoos. If we're meant to be different like him, it has to go deeper. Third way. Identify your resistance. 
What is the, the pressure point for you where you're like, I really don't want to be different in that way? What's the, what's the thing there for you? That's a real thing. So acknowledge that real thing. And man, offer that up to the Lord and be like, God, this is terrifying for this reason. Will you help me figure out what it looks like to obey you in this? Number four, identify golden opportunities to be different on this campus and venture into them with someone else. Okay? Get your battle buddy. Identify a golden opportunity. So basketball was invented in 1881. Not 1981. 1881. And that's a long time ago. And the rules when it was invented stated that players could not move while holding the ball. So all, the only way the ball would move around is by passing. So they just like stand there and pass the ball. And it sounds like a boring game, right? And then in 1987, the coach of Yale University recognized a golden opportunity. You can't move while holding the ball, but what if they just bounced it on the floor over and over? Now they're not holding the ball. Now they can run around wherever they want. And the other team look like chumps, right? Because <laughs> they're like, what? Okay, so this golden opportunity changes the game of basketball forever. How are you going to change the campus forever? Your corner of the campus forever. Your Greek organization forever. One relationship forever. How are you going to do that? Because these opportunities to be different are golden opportunities where something can happen and it changes someone else's life forever. My, my sense, I'd like to have like a list of those golden opportunities. Honestly, I feel like y'all are going to know these and see these better than me. Um, why don't you ask one of your friends that you know well in this room, like this week, what it looks like for them, like what they see. Maybe it's how you use your time. Maybe it's how you spend your money. Maybe it's how you talk with your study group, who you study with, how much time you spend in the library, when you leave the library, how you spend your summers, the jokes you tell and laugh at, the way you date. Guys, come to the small group this week if you want to talk about how to date. Okay. So look for those golden opportunities. Last, last way, fifth way. Don't withdraw. Don't isolate. We, some of us have this tendency to create like a holy sanctum, you know, of like your few friends that are not going to pollute you and you can just be holy with them. And that's just not the Christian life, you guys. If you take salt and you just keep it in a little salt container, no one wants to eat that. That's gross. It's got to be sprinkled around. It's got to be in relationship with other people. Okay? That's the point. It's part of the point of being a Christian. So I know it's hard. I can't tell you exactly how to do that, but like don't isolate. So if you're asking me like, well, I don't want to be part of that group because they're a bunch of sinners. It's like, well, maybe you're called to go be with the sinners and befriend them. And there's wisdom in that. And there's a time to do that and not to do that. But like, that's not off limits. Definitely not off limits. Don't isolate. And all the more reason why you need to be part of a local church, or you need to be part of a thing like RUF to where you can kind of be refreshed and strengthened and then go out into the world and be salt and light. Let me conclude with a reminder about the gospel. Okay, we need encouragement here because this feels hard for me. I know it feels hard for you. The encouragement of the gospel here is that salt doesn't have to be crazy creative. It doesn't have to figure out how to be like sulfur or chlorine or some other you know, element. It just got to stick to its guns and be salt. Be what it is. And if you belong to Christ, you are salt. That's what he says. He says, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Matthew 5 says, if you're God's child, you are the salt. You are the light. That's what it says. You are. 
He doesn't say work really hard and try to figure out a certain way to be salt and light. It's like, you're the salt and light. You're the game plan. You're God's game plan for delectifying and preserving and lighting up this world. You are if you're God's child. It's part of your character now. So he has made you something beautiful. He's made you something awesome. He's made you something different. And now we get to figure out how to live that out. But that is not like, I've got to try to be good enough to become... No, that's not what we're talking about. It's like, I want to become and practice who I already am and can never cease to be in Christ. So the security, of, the security with God of your eternal person is determined by Christ. Not by how good you are at being salt and light. It's determined by Christ and His finished work for you. And that finished work invites us to live out in practice who we are in Him. That's freedom. The call is there, but the pressure is off. The call is real, but the love abides whether we obey or not. He does love you, and it's good to be loved by Jesus. Man, okay, let's pray. Lord, this is a challenging one for us. We don't want to be different. I mean, we do a little bit, but we don't want to be really different. And yet you call us to be. And so, Jesus, I ask, we ask, Lord, that you would shape us and form us. Give us the boldness and the bravery and the love for our neighbors to believe you when you say that, like, no, I'm good. And being like me is a good thing in the world, even if they hate you for it. That's not scary, Lord. We ask that you would walk with us into that. Strengthen our hearts and our minds by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.